People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Visit redbarninc.com coupon to save a dollar off your first can. Welcome to the Tell Janice Radio Show, where you will hear inspiring stories about life, love, and labor from amazing women to help lift you up. Now, here's your host, Janice. Thanks very much, and welcome to the show. I'm so happy that you're listening, and I'm sure you're going to learn a lot from our guest today. But before we get started, I wanted to remind you that if you know of a fabulous female that you would like me to give a shout-out to with a few words of encouragement, acknowledgement, or congratulations, please let me know their names by clicking on the link at telljanice.com. My guest today is Michelle Tillis Letterman. She's an expert on workplace communications and was named one of Forbes' top 25 networking experts in 2015. Her company, Executive Essentials, provides communications and management training and coaching programs. Michelle will be speaking on effective interviewing on both sides of the desk. I'm so excited to have you on the show today, Michelle. Welcome. Thanks, Janice. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'd like our guests to get started with telling just a little bit about themselves. Can you start with that, Michelle? Sure. Uh, (laughs) There's so much to tell. I'm a recovering CPA. (laughs) I spent the first. I, I spent the, and I won't tell you what my mother says CPA stands for. Uh, it's probably not allowed on the air. <laughs> but I spent the first. We, we can my, do it. <laughs> she says I'm a certified pain in the ass. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'll have to remember that one. I wrote that one down. Go ahead. So I spent the first decade, at least, of my career in finance. I did everything from auditing to M&A to hedge fund investing. I was the only woman on a trading floor. I was the only woman on a global venture capital team. And I was I was deeply rooted into that finance world, uh, where I did a lot of interviewing other people and a lot of interviewing myself. And I was very frustrated by a lot of the communications and things that I was seeing. I taught at NYU for seven years while I was building my business, Executive Essentials. And I had been teaching individuals and organizations about these communication skills, these critical skills, for the last uh, dozen years or so. On the personal side, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I'm a travel addict. I've been to 63 countries. I love animals, and wow. I'm the mother of two. Wow. Well, that's a, that's a great place to get started. I don't know what to start with. Um, can you tell me how you started your career? And um, you're, you have been teaching. You have children. How did you balance all of that? Oh, who says there's anything called balance? <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I've learned from a lot of amazing women over the years that speak on the subject of work-life, you know, quote-unquote balance, is is really that it's okay to recognize that there is no such thing as balance, but there is such a thing as fit. And I believe in the concepts of fitting into your life what you want to fit in. And so I was able to go on the field trip with my son because I fit that in, and I'm able to go to the gym three times a week because I fit that in, but I haven't fitted in to go five times a week. (laughs) Um, So it really is about prioritizing what's important to you and finding your um, your things to fit. Well, it certainly is, and especially when you're trying to raise a family. Um, so you t- start start from the beginning for me. Um, you, how did you get into you know into your world? How did you start into the world that I'm in now? I really started yeah. while I was for a bank, 
And I was managing about $100 million of proprietary capital for the bank, and we were investing it. So you have a lot of people coming across the desk that you're interviewing that you're determining Mm -hmm. whether or not you want to put money in them. I was also doing a lot of hiring for the bank. And so I know we're talking a little bit about um, the the interview book and and interviewing from both sides of the desk, and and I can dive deep into that for you. Um, But one of the things that I realized is that the communication piece is is really a a huge hurdle for people in understanding how to get from where they are to where they want to go, whether it's to make that sale, to get that job. That communication gap is vast. Mm -hmm. And really what I do now comes out of the frustration I had then. <laughs> mhm. Was this something Michelle that was self-taught because you know I've in my life I've done, you know, 23 years of interviewing, so I'm really interested in the next few questions for you, but was this something that you what you experienced over a course of time or did you take courses? I mean, how how did how did you become the expert? All of the above. So I <laughs> I realized through practice and all the mistakes that I made. I always say I teach all the mistakes I ever made. Um, But when I realized that this was what I was meant to do, I went to the CEO of the bank I was working for. Uh, He was my boss. He he was the the treasurer at the time, but he had been promoted to be CEO. And I said, I can do this. And, you know, I had done this project with him with another coach. And he said, okay, but you still have to do all this other stuff. So I basically had two jobs. But by Mm -hmm. taking that chance of saying, I can do this and I want to do this, he sent me to – a five-day train-the-trainer course. Every time he wanted a topic taught, which one of the first ones was interviewing, he would send me to take a course on it and then design and deliver something internally based on our custom practices. And so then I continued to do that. So I've done that for Citibank and for Deutsche Bank, and I go in and I look at their custom approach and design and develop uh, trainings to help people understand how to interview effectively, understand what they're mm-hmm. really looking for, what are the characteristics, I call it the ABCs, the attributes, behaviors, and characteristics that would be effective in the role so that they know what they're looking for because if you don't know what you're looking for, you can't interview for those things and find that right hire. So um, in answer to your question, a lot of it is experience and a lot of it is taking class upon class. I have con- believed in continuous learning and probably have taken a course or two and a certification every year for the last decade. Wow, and that's that's really important, you know, to keep to keep fresh and new ideas and such. Um, I am interested in the, you know, your first question: What can you do before the interview to set yourself up for success? Let's talk about that. Well, you know, it's funny. You, as I gave you my tell me about yourself, I I ended it with that personal information. And and you were like, hmm, that's really more interesting than everything else we were planning on talking. I really want to talk about that stuff. I know you were thinking it. <laughs> yeah, I, and was. I was. And we'll yeah. get there, too. <laughs> well, that's actually one of the reasons that you do it. Uh, and I always suggest for people to put that little bit of personal information on their resume or put that personal information on their LinkedIn profile because it gives people an opportunity to talk about something other than work and enables you to find those connection points, find that Uh, similarity and make somebody feel like, hey, I could work with them. Hey, I'd want to hang out with them. Yeah, let's, let's bring them back for another round. So when you think about what to do before an interview, there's a lot of things to do before the day of the interview, and we can dive into that as well. But on that day, I don't want you to stay just so much in the professional world that we don't show the rest of ourselves to somebody. Because I had one interview where I spoke about water skiing, poetry, and animal rescue, and walked out with an offer in hand. <laughs> I don't even think they asked me wow. anything about so you my you were on the school. other side of the desk. 
Yes, I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, I found that you know the last few interviews that I've done just recently, um, sometimes they they open up and give you some very very interesting views into their character and personality, which I think is really important. And I've never, and I'm wondering this about you, as the interviewer, I've never interviewed using the classic techniques. I, I think it's really boring and you don't really draw out what you need. Like, tell me a little bit about yourself, which I did ask you. But um, <laughs> so do you use the classic sort of interview? You know, if I pulled it up on, on Google right now, they'd give you, you know, tell me about yourself, your education and such. But how do you how do you actually start off as being the interviewer? Well, if we think about the different stages of the interview, there's about five stages that we go through, and they're not linear. So we have the rapport building stage, which mm-hmm. we just chatted about a little. What you're referring to is the opening question stage. And then we have the core right. of the interview where we have a lot of that back and forth. There's, a, there's the candidate Q&A, which can be interspersed throughout, and then, of course, the closing of the interview. So in the opening question, I think a broad-based question can be a wonderful opportunity for both sides of the desk. For, for the interviewer, it enables them to ease into the interview, have something as a go-to question. It's not, oh, my God, what am I going to ask them now? They have something that they can then bounce off of what response they get. For the interviewee, it's wonderful to be able to drive exactly what you want to tell the other person. I am X, Y, and Z. These are the traits that I can bring to the table. This is my passion or my enthusiasm. You are really being very directive of what you want them to know about you, and that gives you more control. And so we want to look at that generic question, as you put it, that traditional question, as an opportunity for both sides. So I think it is useful, but you don't want to continue down that broad path. You want to just kind of ease in with a question like that. Right, and then wonder do do you find yourself um, when you're being the when you're interviewing? Do you find yourself sort of veering off into kind of based on what they've said back to you? And um, do you? Yeah, I I was just wondering because sometimes you get the best information by veering off the path, you know, the the trusted path. Um, the la- one of the last gals I interviewed, she started talking to me about a charity that she was involved in, and it was just it resonated with me. I mean, do you find that if you can pull something like that out of somebody that if if it fits the characteristic of what you're looking for? Um, Absolutely. Can you, you know, talk about that? you're really looking to answer three questions about any candidate. Can they do the job? Do they have the technical skill, the experience, the knowledge base? Do they want to do the job? Do they have the interest and the passion? And are they a fit for the company? Are they a cultural fit? And that's what we're really talking about. That's where we do want to draw out a little bit more about them personally because we spend more time with the people we work with than the people that we live with. So we want to know, can we spend time with this person and when you get to see that charity that somebody's passionate about and see all of their energy and their, love and their, you know, everything comes to life, that really gives you insight into that person. But it also allows them to feel more comfortable and to show themselves. People tend to get that interview mask. So I think you are spot on when you say follow the conversation. And, and I really teach people to not think of it as much as an interview as it is a conversation. Because although mm-hmm. there's questions, on when you can make it conversational it's more real life so follow whatever it is they say interests you go for it i know i've found also too that many people go into the interview being you know nervous so 
do you feel that setting somebody at ease is the best technique in, in pulling out what you want for them or being more intimidating? Because people have different styles. Well, we have to remember as the interviewer that the candidate is also interviewing us. They're determining whether or not they want to work for us. Now, right now, it's a buyer's market, and so we, as the employer, have a little bit more flexibility. Um, that said, there's a lot of different types of interviews. There's a lot of um, kind of unconventional styles that are happening these days. We've got the Skype interview. We've got the uh, phone interview. We've got the group interview. We've got the team interview. We've got the skit interview I even heard a company doing. And, <laughs> and so with all of these different formats, you know, you're saying something about the company itself. A lot of financial services do a stress interview or a good cop, bad cop when they do a team interview. You know, people walk out of there going, I do not want to work for that person. So you have to understand that that's part of the image that you're putting out to somebody else. I don't recommend doing a stress interview. That doesn't mean you can't ask a hard question. So, for example, a financial firm was known for asking um, about what, you know, how do you think the markets are doing today? What do you think about how the markets are reacting today? And, you know, yeah, that's a tough question, but it's also a question that's saying, hey, are you really passionate about the industry and are you up on it every day, all day, you know? Mm-hmm. And, it's not mm-hmm. and if they've done the you research. Know, so there, there's a little bit of purpose behind it. Um, but I think you really need to be clear on what's your purpose in taking that approach. Right. What do you think about personal personality profiles going into an interview if companies should – be able to provide those? Have you ever used personality profiles? I have not in the interview process. I know a lot of firms who do. And what's very interesting is there was a study done many years ago with uh, the accounting firms of the personality type, the MBTI type, uh, which is of 16 styles. What is the type of the partners? 80% of the partners came out one of the 16 styles. And so it was very indicative of what type of personality succeeds in that organization. Now, there's a problem with that. If we only hire to that style, we are going to create groupthink. We are going to reduce our innovation, our collaboration. Um, We are going to really uh, self-select out some of that diversity that enables progress. So I I get a little nervous about hiring Mm -hmm. to a test. That said, I think it's great to understand the styles of the people that you're hiring, um, but it's really a chicken and an egg question, and I think the the egg of the assessment should come after you hire the chicken. <laughs> mhm, mhm. Do you think that uh, you should be hiring people that you like? Well, now you're getting to my first book because, of course, I love the the concept of likability, and you know, I I teach that people do business with people that they like. That said, it's also one of the interview traps. It's called the similar to me bias, and that we hire people right. like, and on the sense of that it's somebody you can spend time with and there's a cultural fit, that's great. But on the sense of I need somebody to offset my strengths, it's not. And so I actually do think about what style I need. So back to the question about assessments, I don't have somebody take an assessment, but in my mind, for example, there's an assessment that uses four colors, red, yellow, green, and blue. I happen to be a yellow-red. I like to hire a red-green. So it gives us some place of commonality and overlap where we can understand each other, but that green is opposite my yellow, and so therefore their strengths are my weaknesses. And so I think we want to 
think about those things in the full picture of our team, understanding where our strengths lie and what type of style and characteristics we need to fill those gaps. Right, because there needs to be a variety because we all don't have all the strengths needed to get the job done. That, that took me a long time to learn. Exactly. Well, you mentioned your book. The, is this your first book, The 11 Laws of Likeability? That was my first book. that a little bit most- further? Uh, sure, and my most recent book is Nail the Interview, Land the Job. So uh, kind of hitting both of them a little bit here. The 11 Laws of Likeability is about understanding the drivers of connection and likeability. And I always, I always warn people it is not about how to get somebody to like you. You can't make somebody like you. But you can enable people to see what is likable about you. And so I take people through what to do before, during, and after an interaction with somebody to build and strengthen that connection and convert it into a relationship. Okay. And your second book or one, your recent book is Nail the Interview? Nail the Interview, Land the Job. And that is where I, once you know you've got that interview, and even before uh, you can take some of these tactics into getting the interview, but from a month to three months before the interview, I'm giving you ideas of what you should be doing in planning for that interview and preparing for it. The day of in the waiting room, throughout the interview questions, how to close it, and then even what to do past not getting the job <laughs> because the interview isn't ever right. over. And and so we really right. take the full spectrum. Do you find that, um, I mean, I found over the years because I used to teach interview skills years ago, and I actually enjoy interview, you know, being the interviewee. I think it's a huge challenge. It's fun, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's. I mean, I find it fun. That's why I don't like to to have people be nervous. I, I I'd rather draw the best out of them rather than a, a nervous Nelly. You know that that's no fun for me. And I think it's personally, I would agree with your approach entirely. I think bringing your best self, enabling their best self, is what will give you the best sense of is this person a fit. And, you know, sometimes what you realize is you're great and I want to hang out with you, but you're not a fit for this job. And that might be the best exactly. thing for everybody. And Ex- I think with exactly. your method, you're more, you're more likely to come to that conclusion than you are if you, if you let them be nervous and you enjoy that aspect of it. Uh, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I understand. Let's get back to you mentioned having two children, and I really – You know, I'm so interested in how you talked about work-life balance, and I loved what you said, that it's more of a fit, and I agree. I think that's a better way to put it. And so many companies these days, organizations, are using the work-life balance. I used to use the word happy, like I'm here to make people happy, and I cut that out years ago because that's not my job, you know, as as a manager. But but can you talk more about um, you you have two children. How did you make it a fit? Like you were working for another company, I'm assuming, at the time that they were growing up. Actually, no. I left my finance role when I was six months pregnant with my first child. I always knew I wanted to be a working mom, and I also wanted to be a flexible mom that was very present. But I am somebody who loves to work, and I could not imagine not having – the ability to work, but I also couldn't imagine not being at every single school play. (laughs) So I actually and you were able to make that fit. There's very few things I've missed, and I always make sure that either my husband or my mother can be in an event, so they always have somebody special for them, because that's what's important to me. Um, but what I do personally is, at the beginning of the school year, I take the school calendar for the entire year, 
and I put every day off, every half day, every every thing. Like they often have the school fair and the school spirit day already scheduled. So it's all in my calendar, and it doesn't matter what you want to pay me. I'm not going to miss those days. Uh, and then I will also do things like I'm the class parent for the last three years, <laughs> which means I get the first dibs wow. on being the chaperone for the field trips. And so you so, so you can do the planning ahead. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not a, I'm not somebody who can be last minute. With being an entrepreneur and being in your own business and sometimes working for an organization, you can be 100% flexible except when you're 100% not. But if you know right. the information in advance, you can work around it. And so that's really how I approach ensuring that I can be very present for all of those things and be in the front row. It's all scheduled in. <laughs> I love that where you're you sound like a definite planner which you, which you need to help make everything fit. Um it it doesn't sound like you took the safe route. A lot of us take the safe route and and choosing a career. And it sounds like you just answered my question, you know, you you decided that in order for it to fit that you had to be self-employed, which you did. But not everybody chooses that. What would you say to women and the the children that we're raising today? Would you say that everybody could could do what you've done, or is how would you like? I have a 26 year old daughter, so I'm trying to mm-hmm. help her figure out what how she's going to make everything fit. What would you say to those young millennials today? Well, you know, it's interesting. There's statistics that show that 50 percent of our workforce will be independently employed um, within the next, I think, decade. I'm not sure exactly what what the time frame was. Um, but maybe it's within the next 20 years, 50% of our workforce will be what we call independently employed, meaning that they could be subcontractors, they could be freelancers, they could be entrepreneurs. And so what I would say to your 26-year-old daughter is what I believe is design your ideal. My ideal was exactly as I said, being able to be present for my kids but continuing to work in um, in, in a full capacity. And you really need to prioritize what's important to you about the type of work you do, number one, like what you're passionate about, number two, the kind of lifestyle you want to lead, and the kind of skills that you bring to the table and see where those three things overlap. So do I think that anybody can do what I'm doing? I'd like to say yes, but I think in my heart of hearts I don't don't necessarily know if that's true because I think there are preferences that people have um, over over, uh, environments that they work in. I had somebody who right. worked for me for a while as a contractor, and she it wasn't about the financial. She was making the money she needed to make, but she didn't um, enjoy not having the environment of a community of an organization. And that's what I mean. It, it doesn't mean that you can't do it. It just mean, might mean it's not a fit for you to do it. I think that's probably a better way right. of putting it. Um, but you know what? I would also tell you one more thing, and I realized this as I was coaching another person who was thinking about leaving the organization that sometimes leading is not the risky thing. Sometimes staying is. She was in an organization where Mm -hmm. they were starting to minimize her role. They were taking responsibility away from her. Um, She wasn't happy. And she was almost feeling like she was being inched out the door. And to me, taking control and walking out the door with not burning a bridge, maybe turning that company into a client, is a lot less risky than all of a sudden being out of work entirely. So it's about right. being a little proactive about it. Right. 
that's a big decision. A lot of that's happening. A lot of people that I've interviewed have also been going through very similar situations um, or have in their past. You mentioned your mom, Michelle, and um, if there was one virtue or rule about life that she instilled in you, what's the first thing that would come to mind about your mom? I'm smiling because it's her dating advice. Uh, and this, actually, this is okay. I, I tell this in some of my speeches. I've put this in my book. I'll never forget my mom's dating advice because when I was growing up, she encouraged me to you know date you know lots of people, lots of different types. And I always said, you know, mom, you never forbade me from dating somebody. You never, you know, said, oh no, not that person. And she looked at me and mm-hmm. she said, well, if you see good in them, there's good in them. And it just made me feel so wow. respect trusted. Um, but her right. advice to me was, her advice to me was, give people three chances. <laughs> she said, if on the oh, first date you're not having wow. a good time, they're having a bad day. If on the first date you're not having a good time, um, on the second date if you're not having a good time, you're having a bad day. On the third date if you're not having a good time, well, you gave them a shot. And and I take <laughs> this a lot further because if you think about it, we give up very quickly on relationships on profession on a lot of things and what i take away from that is to give things a couple of shots maybe three is not the magic number but give it more than one chance because sometimes things happen over time and you need to give them that room to grow right somebody just you know some people just uh give it one date that's a that's a very good um way to look at it and actually in life and in general too so you didn't mention a You didn't mention your relationship, but um, your whole career path is very, very inspiring to to women out there. Did your relationship, did it impact your relationship at all, raising your kids and, and, and your significant other? I think only for the better. Um, one of the things that I learned, I, I got married a little later. I got married at 32. I guess that's not that late in the Northeast, but um, in, in some areas of the world, that's late. And um, I learned that you want to pick somebody who only wants um, your success and that you only want the success. So when something happens great for my husband, I am behind him. I'm supporting him. I'm like, oh, how do we make this better? How do we make this happen? And, and there's not a me versus you. It's always been an up right. of, you know, I'm so excited for you and I'm so proud of you and, and vice versa. And so really being very supportive of each other's careers. And recently, um, I'm just beaming over this one. My son had his bucket buddy day. He's in third grade, and he has to fill out this uh-huh. all about me. And one of the questions is, who's your hero? And my son chose me, and I didn't know he was choosing me. And he said that um, it was because I was around and because I had my own business that he was proud of me. Wow. <laughs> so well, that's, a gra- think- that's a great testimony. I, I check in with my kids. I say, do you think I'm around enough? And they say yes. Even though I might have my office door closed, they know I'm in the house and um, right. most of the time. And they know I'm accessible. And they know that um, I'm going to be showing up to things. And so, you know, checking in with them and with your significant other to make sure that it's working for everybody and it's it's according to what you value um, but I, I think it is just being in communication with, with all the important parties in your life. Right. That's that's terrific. That brought kind of a tear to my eye. Um, who was your hero? My mom. <laughs> nah, I knew my you were going to say that. 
Well, you know, I mean, it's not surprising. She's um, been very influential in um, in my heart. You know what I mean? She yeah. she's somebody who raised two girls on her own. You know, they they separated when we were very young, and she was I call her scrappy. We really didn't have a lot financially. Um, she did work, um, but it was. You know, it was a scrape and a grind, and we we sold furniture to pay the mortgage, and it was, you know, just keeping our heads above water. Um, but you know what? She somehow always managed to give us what we needed, whether it was a sleepaway camp or, um, you know, skating lessons. She managed. She figured mm-hmm. it out. And I now, as a working mother with a husband, um, you know, I, I, I got mm-hmm. exhausted thinking about how she did it. <laughs> I know it's amazing when when you're a single parent like her raising two children and she did it and and look how she she raised you and um your story is so inspiring. I I've just loved it. Do you have um any special book offerings? You had mentioned something um about free networking assessment. Can you talk about that with our listeners before we get off? Absolutely. I actually have a few gifts I give away, and it's one link to get them all, so I'll give you the link. It's Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, Tillis, T-I-L-L-I-S, Letterman, L-E-D-E-R-M-A-N, so my full name, dot com, slash gift pack. And in that gift pack, you're going to get a free chapter from the 11 Laws of Likeability. You're going to get a free assessment on what type of networker you are. You're also going to get a free interview preparation checklist. So if you are in that interview mode, it's making sure that you hit everything on that checklist. And then you'll uh, also get a little video series on um, how to accelerate your success. So lots of free goodies in there and and more that, that comes along the way. Oh, I love that. Thanks for sharing that with our listeners. This is so inspiring, and, you know, we've covered a lot of ground. I'd love to have you on again, but thank you so much, Michelle, for being on the show today. Happy to be back anytime. Great. Thank you. Bye bye that you tuned in today and learned from our amazing, fantastic female guests, and I hope you recognize this as an opportunity to pass their knowledge on to your daughters and friends and share the wisdom of the ages. I'll talk to you again soon, and in the meantime, let's lift each other up, spread the love, and share an attitude of gratitude. Every three minutes, another woman gets the news that she has breast cancer, and here are some of the first words she hears. Her to new oncogene. Aromatase inhibitor, ductal carcinoma in situ. What do these words mean? How are you going to decide what to do if you can't even say what you have? Listen to me, Shirley Jones. As soon as you get your diagnosis, go to breastcancer.org. It's a special place on the Internet where you can learn how to say all those breast cancer words and find out what they mean. At breastcancer.org, You can learn more about your particular kind of cancer and your treatment options. Prepare a list of questions for your next doctor's visit and get all kinds of other useful information to guide you and your family through this. Breastcancer.org, the first place to go the minute you find out you have breast cancer. You've been listening to the Tell Janice Radio Show. If you'd like to be a guest or suggest a guest for the show, Or if you would like to nominate a fabulous female for a shout-out by Janice on the live show, please visit www.telljanice.com. Please share this episode with your social network and help us lift women up. Join us next week for another episode of Tell Janice.